Welcome to this Jeremy Bamba and White House Farm podcast. I'm Yvonne Hartley, co-admin and forensic liaison manager of the Jeremy Bamba Innocence Campaign. Today, I am delighted to be joined by a successful author and leading criminologist, Dr. Sandra Lean, who specializes in miscarriages of justice. Sandra is pivotal and has been for many years in the campaign for the freedom of Luke Mitchell, who was convicted in January 2005 at the age of just 16 for the murder of his girlfriend, Georgie Jones, in Dalkeith, Scotland, on the 30th of June, 2003. Both Georgie and Luke, her boyfriend, were just 14 at the time, and Luke maintains his innocence. So welcome, Sandra. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's a real, real pleasure to be here. Oh, thank you so much. I wonder if you could please give us a little bit more background to Luke's case. Yeah, um, Luke and Jodie were boyfriend and girlfriend. girlfriend. Um, she was supposed to come and meet him on the night of June 30th and didn't show. So Luke went out thinking he'd been stood up, typical 14 yeah. year old, went out with a couple of his mates, um, came home about half past nine. And later that evening, about 20 to 11, he gets a text from Jodie's mum because yeah. Jodie's phone was broken saying, yeah. right, up the road, you've missed your curfew. You know, you, you're yeah. grounded. Yeah. That kicked off the whole thing. Jodie had been missing from sometime around about five o'clock that evening and nobody had known she was missing. Oh, goodness. So Luke set off along a path with that, that Jodie would have used to get to his house. Yeah. He had his dog on the lead. By now it was dark. Um, so he's got his torch and he's got his dog. And the plan had been that he would go up that path. And if he didn't find Jodie, he would go to her mum's house. Grown-ups would then decide what to do next. He had some phone numbers of friends that our mum might not have had. Yeah. Yeah. The sort of thing you would do in those circumstances. Exactly. But three members of Jodie's family were waiting for him at the top of the path. So before he got to Jodie's mum's house, right. suggested a double check. He went back down the path and Luke had put his dog into tracker mode. Yeah. And the dog suddenly alerted beside this wall. So Luke doubled back a bit, climbed over the wall, found Jodie's naked, mutilated body, called out, I think there's something here. And then another two members of the search party individually went over and came back. That was start. That's what that's how this whole thing kicked off. From the minute the police arrived, they were treating Luke as a suspect. So they didn't they didn't, I mean, he's 14 years old. Yeah. And he's just found what must have been an absolutely horrific scene. And the first thought in the police mind isn't to offer him counseling or help no. or to try and get over that traumatic event is to start looking at him with a finger of suspicion. From the minute they arrived, so Luke was the only child in the search party. Right. The other three were taken to a car park and it was Luke that was asked to go back over the wall to show the police where Jodie's body was, 14 years old. That's shocking, isn't it, Sandra? And from there, he was then taken straight to the police station stripped, put in a paper suit, bodily examined, photos taken, um, DNA samples, all of that, 
they, they stripped him and put him in the paper suit, knowing his mother was on the way and didn't even wait for her. Oh, that's disgusting. And that was the same night that he'd found her. He must have been absolutely... It was within half an hour of finding her. That's shocking, because he must have been in a complete and utter state of shock. And then for this, them to do that... Yep, to this day, he has never had any counselling. I found that absolutely outrageous. Horrifying. As a child, we allowed that as, as how we treat children in this country. The case, because in Scotland back then we had what were called Section 14 interviews, and in Scotland that meant the police could take anybody, even a child, right. lock them in a room somewhere and interrogate them for up to six hours. But Luke was 14 years old, and so was there no appropriate adult available for him? On the night that Jodie was found, and they took him to the station. There was only him. His mum arrived later, but then they took them. There was this great big um, sort of hall, and the police took Luke to one end, and they took his mum to the other, and interviewed them at the same time separately. The next interview that, that what they call the Section Fourteen, the really horrific interrogation, and it was horrific. Um, there was a social worker supposedly there as the, the um, appropriate, adult. appropriate adult. So there was a social worker there, supposedly as the appropriate adult, who, apart from confirming his name, did not open his mouth in six hours. Nothing. And Luke's interview, initial interview, wasn't so much as an interview as it was an interrogation by three large experienced police officers. Absolutely. And the, the appeal judges later said that the behaviour of those officers was outrageous and to be deplored, that they'd lost it. And then said it didn't amount to a miscarriage of justice because Luke gave as good as he got. A 15-year-old kid against three seasoned cops who were throwing, they were screaming in his face. That's shocking. Absolutely shocking. Well, Luke was released uh, initially, wasn't he, without charge? And and then was it was some months later he was rearrested. He, well, you have to understand the Section Fourteen interview is not an arrest. So he's right. not arrested. He's detained in Scotland, but not arrested. I so see. the murder was on the thirtieth of June. Luke wasn't officially arrested until a dawn raid on the 14th of April, 2004. So nine and a half months later. And- this time they would have probably had Luke under surveillance and watching his every move. They didn't have to, the media were doing that for him. I was just about to say that the media in Luke's case was, I remember the headlines, and they were determined that, you know, this goth who was a devil worshiper and, you know, they branded Luke as guilty from the outset, didn't they? Absolutely. Um, saying things like, you know, he's the only one that's been questioned, he's the only one that's been questioned twice, um, he's the sole suspect. The thing, the thing about the goth was he wasn't at the time. He wasn't a goth. No. Jodie was starting to dabble in goth culture, but even she wasn't a goth. 
So, yeah. so this this whole portrayal, and it, it's what you have to question how people get this, how, how they accept this information when the, their own eyes are showing them something different. Here's a lad in a bandana and, yeah. you know, a, a baggy jacket. And it, there's, there's no black anywhere to be seen. And they're yeah. telling people this is a goth. Like, Look at the picture. Exactly. That's not a goth, you know? But yeah, the, the media, the media absolutely did the job for, did the police's job for them in terms of surveillance. He and his family could not move. They were literally camped up outside the house. The morning of the Section 14 interview, so it was a dawn raid, a seven o'clock yeah. morning raid. The media were already camped outside waiting for them. How did they know? Obviously somebody sought to inform them, didn't they, from the police? Uh -huh. oh, just shocking. But we know that they seized at least a hundred exhibits from the scene. So didn't they have any of it at all forensic that connected Luke to the scene or to Jodie or to what happened to her? There was nothing to connect Luke to the murder, to the scene, uh, to Jodie, to him. So, so you'll hear people consistently saying, but there was DNA of Jodie found. And, and you know, you're lying when you say there was no DNA. Okay, let me clarify again <laughs> for anybody that hasn't heard this there was a trace of Jodie's DNA found on a pair of trousers that were in a whole doll in Luke's house this was a whole doll that he used to go back and forward to Sads at the weekend and the trousers had been there since the previous weekend were not claimed to have been worn at the time of the murder on the day of the murder have anything to do with it so that's the first one that DNA has nothing to do with the murder yeah second one is when they claimed that there was uh, Luke's DNA on Jodie's bra. Right. Now, in the interrogation I was talking about, the police were screaming at him, we've got your DNA, we've got your DNA, it's on our bra, it's on our bra. And then they, th they said, yeah, we've got a partial profile that matches yours. And Luke actually said, he was 15, he just turned 15. He said, well, if it's a partial profile, it's not mine. You can't yeah. say it's mine because it needs to be a full profile. We thought that was the end of it. The DNA expert that they brought in, the prosecution brought in, tried to put that in front of the jury and say the DNA on the bra matches in the same places the profile of Luke Mitchell. And the defence stood up and went, but could also match anybody else who has those bits of their profile in the same place. Exactly, making the evidence fit their scenario. Yeah, you cannot say that is Luke Mitchell's profile. So when, when I finally got the case papers, it had to be done. I got out the DNA results yeah. and I looked at that sample. And there are at least six other males known to the investigation whose DNA profiles match in the correct places the partial that was taken from that rat. Oh, goodness me. I was going to say, Sandra, there are at least five others who are possible persons of interest in the case yes. that have never been interrogated such as Luke was. They, they, they wanted Luke and these others have not been questioned, have they? They, they were questioned. Some of them were questioned, but the entire line of the questioning was, tell us about Luke Mitchell. What do you know about Luke Mitchell? Tell us about Luke Mitchell and knives. Um, you know, 
uh, tell us what he was what was weird about him tell us about his cannabis use not really what were you doing and why can't you tell us where you were when your bike was at the v-point at the exact time of the murder no those those questions don't even come into it I know there was a documentary recently, uh, A Murder in a Small Town, a two-part documentary, and two private investigators were recapping the evidence. And even they were bringing to light some of these persons of interest, which seemed absolutely compelling in some instances, that they should have been investigated further. Yes, and I, I think I think it's it, people are really shocked that 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 didn't happen they're really shocked now and it's one of these things that once it comes out and and people go how did that happen and mm -hmm. I, we spoke earlier about the people who doubt this work that we do and doubt the innocence of the people that that we do this for and they'll say things like well he's guilty because all of the evidence was in front of the jury. Well, there's an example of evidence that wasn't in front of the jury, that these people were not investigated. Exactly. And then they'll come back and say, well, they weren't investigated because they, they weren't suspected anything. And now, now you've gone to circular reasoning. Luke's guilty, and that's why they focused on him. And they didn't focus on these other people because they somehow knew they weren't guilty. How? Exactly. If they didn't investigate them. Exactly. They didn't pull all the threads to, to do a thorough yeah. investigation. They made their minds up, and that was it. Yeah, and, and literally from the off, as we said, right from the first minute. And I mean, Luke passed a lie detector test. Yeah, as did his mum. As did his mum, because he accused his mum of uh, lying at the court and also burning Luke's clothes. Yep. Get rid of evidence, but so, so people will say, well, lie detector is not um admissible in court. Okay, but forensic evidence is, and they took that burner apart and found no forensic evidence whatsoever of any item of clothing ever having been burned there. It's so so checking, we, we now have two sets of evidence that say she didn't burn his clothing. <laughs> it didn't happen. Exactly. And the forensic speaks for itself, doesn't it? Yeah. They didn't yeah. burn anything. And so Sandra um, believed Luke had an appeal in 2008. Uh, yeah. What was the appeal based on and what was the outcome? What did the judges decide? There were, now from memory, there were 10 or 11 grounds of appeal, which seems crazy that there were that many grounds of appeal. You know, how could that much have gone wrong? And it was the most bizarre it was the most bizarre thing I'd ever seen. One, one of the grounds of appeal, for example, was um, the, the eyewitness who said she'd seen a male and a female at the East House's end of the path, Jodie's end of the path, that could have been Luke and Jodie, but her description was nothing like them. Yeah, this witness was actually driving in her car, wasn't she, when she yes. saw them through her car window? Yeah, and she was going around a really sharp bend, so she just caught a glimpse of them. Yeah. But the descriptions she gave were nothing like Luke or Jodie. The police then take her uh, a spread of photographs and um, Luke's is the only one on a white background. He's the only one with long hair. The others are much younger. Right. So she, she picks out the obvious picture. And then she fails to identify Luke in court. We still have doc identification in Scotland. So they right. say, can you see the person in this court today? Yeah. It's a bit of giveaway, the guy in the dock. 
you know. <laughs> but she failed to identify him. Really? So when when this went to appeal and, and they were saying that the, her name was Andrina Bryson, the whole Andrina Bryson evidence, the, the prosecution basically built their case on, on that evidence. And when they went to appeal, they said, well, there is nothing to support it. Yeah. The people she described were not looking Jodie. She didn't identify him in court. The photo spread was was completely wrongly done. She was never mm -hmm. taken to an ID parade, all of that. And the judges concluded, and I'll get the word in this precisely, the jury was entitled to infer that the girl could have been Jodie and upheld the ground appeal. So basically, the jury were entitled to just, well, there's no evidence. I mean, that's just appalling. Yeah. And then another bit was, um, so so there was DNA. There were two, two new suspects became known by 2008. Not suspects, persons of interest. So one was somebody who'd left a condom at the scene. It was found in yes. the early hours of the morning and the DNA was, the, the semen was described as fresh. But they didn't identify this guy till till three years later. Right. And the other guy was brought forward as, as a pe potential per person of interest just because of his behaviour and the fact that he had scratches on his face and things like that. So yeah. we, this comes up at appeal and the prosecution stood up in court and said the DNA was no match whatsoever. Now, to let people understand, it was the Crown who passed the DNA match to the defence, because this guy had been identified for, he'd been involved in another incident. He'd been involved through his DNA. Yeah, ran his DNA through the database and it linked back to the condom. So they, they were duty bound to tell the defence this. Yeah. And then at appeal, the prosecution guy stands up and says, the DNA was no link whatsoever. How did he ever get away with that? Well, that's just shocking. So that's how that's how they so they've got in. a man's a man's DNA on a used condom, which had fresh semen, and then at the, at the appeal they said it was no link to the man it had been identified to be the DNA of. Yes, yes. So you every point, make it up. no, every you point in the appeal it, went that way. It was just the, the, the arguments were absolutely ludicrous. They made no sense whatsoever, but they went. Nope, so we're not allowing that ground. Nope, so we're not allowing that ground. Till, you, till you're left with this, if it was a mess before, it's an absolute shambles now. So, calling. Yeah, what I, can I'm you do? quite speechless because that's just just shocked me as that. Yeah. You couldn't think that would be acceptable, would you, in a court of law? Well, most people don't think it is. And, and trying to persuade them, showing them, showing them the document and saying, do you realise this is what's behind that? Another thing in the, the appeal documents um, that, that's worth mentioning. So there was there was a question about how Jodie's family, this, the members of Jodie's family in the search party got to the top of the path before Luke. Yeah. Because they were much further away and Luke had left before them. So how did they get there first? And there'd been a lot of talk about it over the years. Did they actually leave from where they said they left? Or did they yes. leave from somewhere closer? Because they said yeah. they left from the grand's house. The appeal judges in their written report said the family search trio left from Jodie's mother's house just a few minutes from the path. 
how could they get that so wrong? It would account for them being there before Luke. Yes. But why would they have been there when nobody knew Jodie was missing? Why would they have formed a search party that early? And they didn't know she was missing at that stage. Yeah. So, so the appeal judges either just totally misread that, it was an outright mistake, or they knew something yeah, it's never been disclosed. Hadn't come out, yeah. Yeah, absolutely appalling. Yeah. So what's the next stage in Luke's case, Sandra? I mean, he's he's still in prison now. He was given a 20-year term. I think, is he 17 years into that now? And he protests his innocence, which means it, they're not going to let him out unless he admits guilt. And he's not going to do that as an innocent man. I mean, he's lost his childhood, he's lost his youth, he's lost so much. And it's just incredible, it's this injustice that's happened to him. So what is the next step? Is there further things that you can do to help secure his freedom? Yeah, I think, I think I'd just like to make clear, Luke didn't receive a 20-year sentence. He, used to, he received a sentence without limit of time with a 20-year minimum period. 20-year minimum, I see. So he, okay. he will not have a release date because he, he was sentenced without limit of time at the age of 16. So I think it's important that people understand that. Absolutely. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. In terms of what we can do next, there were, there were three potential routes open to us. One is to try to find grounds for another appeal which means to find new evidence, to go back to the Commission, the, the SCCRC, to That's try and get... That's the Scottish uh, Criminal Cases Review Commission, isn't it, Sandra? It's yeah. different than the English one. Yeah, but it's the same principle. You put your application in with your new evidence, they decide whether it goes back to the Court of Appeal or not, and, and so on and so on. So that was the first thing. The other one that a lot of people suggested was a retrial. Now, I can't even remember when there was a last a retrial in Scotland. And, and I've tried to explain to people, we don't want a retrial because it would follow the same rules as the original trial. And all of the same stuff that didn't get before the jury last time has a chance of not getting before the jury this time. Yeah, exactly. it's all the legal trickery. The third option and the one that we are favouring, the one that we are pushing is an independent review of the case like the Hillsborough Review. Because, again, you've got the circular thing going on. To go to the commission, we need to get samples released right. for more modern testing. And we can go to the commission without the results of these no. new tests that provide the new evidence. If we go for a, a, an independent review, that means everything is released to an independent panel. So we're all we're all then hands off. It's nothing to do with any of us, and they they look at the whole thing. Now, the reason why that's the best option is there are far 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 too many unanswered questions in this case, far too many, and that review would put those questions to bed once and for all. So that whether you think right. Luke's guilty or whether you think he's innocent, it will bring closure to both of those. And the independent review would get access to the samples that needed testing. Yes, yes. And also the, other thing, the financial burden on yourself in having to have that done 
independently would have been absolutely mind-blowing. And so for them, an independent review to do that would take that pressure off as well, wouldn't it? Yes, what, what we've started a petition um, asking people to sign the petition for the independent review and to stop them coming back and saying it's too expensive. The people signing the petition have said, we'll chip in. Fantastic. We'll raise funds for an independent review. Because the other thing that an independent review would do is it would demonstrate the flaws in the processes that brought us here. Yes. And I don't think anybody believes that those flaws and, and failed processes only happened in one case. Definitely not. There's a recurrent theme, isn't there, throughout? Yes. Yes. I mean, in 2007, when I wrote the first book, I picked out the, the, the same things that were happening over seven different cases. Exactly. And, and that's, is, that book's called No Smoke, isn't it, Sandra? Yeah. You can buy that on Amazon. Not at the minute. It's actually been, it's, it's been withdrawn for now because it needs to be updated. Um, so I, I will let people know when it's back out. Fantastic, so, yeah. Yeah, the one, that, the one that's available just now is Innocence Betrayed. And that's the one that, that exposes everything in the Luke Mitchell case that needs addressed. I'd, I'd encourage everybody to buy that book and learn the truth. That's, that's what it was all about, is, is getting the truth out there. And people can make up their own minds. You, know, you get this, oh, it, it's all one-sided. What do you think mainstream media has been feeding you for 18 and a bit years? Exactly. This is just the other side of that. And then once you've read both sides, then make up your mind. What do you think is more likely here? Exactly. All you're doing is enabling people to make that decision. Yes. Yeah. You, you, can't, you can't decide on a case or an argument when you're only being given one side. No. You know, and it's as well, because people are like, oh, well, you're just making that up. They'll say to us, well, that did happen. You're making it up. It's documented. So, you know, challenges for the, for the documentation because it's, it's in the case material. Yes, and I think that that's one of the most important things. Again, slight difference between Scotland and uh, England and Wales is that I can't put that material online. I'd love to put the whole lot online. Yeah. In Scotland, I can't. I can quote from, I can quote excerpts from different documents and I've gone as far as I possibly could with that to get as much of it out there as I can. But in terms of creating a website and just chucking everything up there for everybody to go through, I don't want to go to jail. You know, I'm not, I'm not allowed to do that. Let's <laughs> start with Jeremy's case. I mean, a lot of the documentation we've got under NDA anyway. Um, so we would never release it publicly like that but it's a case of we can provide people with the quotes and tell them what statement that came from yeah because then at least it's there this is what this person said on this date yeah and and it's there then for everybody to be able to analyze and have a look at mm -hmm. and make the then make a, a proper decision i find it interesting that some of the some of the people who do not support this work that we do We'll come back and say, yeah, you're just being selective. You're just quoting the bits that suit your story. <laughs> like, you can't, you know, there, there's just no police in some people. But you're, you're when, just when cherry-picking partial sentences. And it's like, yeah. no, here's a full paragraph. Yeah. When we're doing, when we're doing 
as much as we can within the law to expose what's gone wrong in these cases and, and showing people, look, he said this on this date and then he changed it to saying that on that date. Why did it change? Exactly. That, these are the questions people need to ask themselves. Yeah. Yeah. What was the motivation for it to change? Mm. Who yeah. pressured them for it to change? Yeah. I mean, was, was there was there a standoff because there was a perception of somebody in the farmhouse? Or was there no standoff and it just didn't happen? Because there was nobody. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And exactly. it's things like that. You know, in Luke's case, it was the, the witnesses changed their statement and said the dog didn't react. Luke just went straight to the body, he went straight over the wall because he knew the body was there. Mm. And then you find all their statements saying the dog went nuts at the wall. The dog was standing up scrabbling on the wall. It's a big dog. Its head was level with the V. So which was it? Why it's would they have given all these descriptions of the dog and a month later say the dog did nothing? Well, it's as I say, usually their first testimony is the correct testimony, isn't it? Yes. Well, yeah, because the then there's not been the time. Change. Yeah, there's and not been when time. They want, when they've got their suspect and they want to point the accused with finger, then things begin to change. Yeah, yeah. And and the, the it's one of the things that I find really disgusting. Here is a family in utter shock, disbelief, horror, grief, and the police come in and manipulate them and make suggest, yeah. are you sure that's what you saw? Is it possible it might have been this? These families can't think straight. No. And they, exactly. they, may, they may agree, they, they may go, well, yeah, maybe. And then a month later, the police come back and say, now you told us blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And they're, they're thinking, did I? What, when did I say that? And what exactly. they mean is they agreed to a suggestion. So it is absolutely disgusting that in order to get their conviction of their chosen suspect, the police are willing to manipulate families in and such seeds. horrific, yeah, yeah such horrific circumstances. Seeds. Yeah. I mean, I've just found it's all absolutely appalling. Yeah. Absolutely appalling. And we know ourselves, Sandra, that campaigning can be very expensive, oh. especially when you've got forensic reports that you need to commission. So do you get help with the funding at all? No, um, we, we've tried a couple of times to set up GoFundMe accounts to help with the expenses of the case. Uh, and they keep taking them down because you're not allowed to fundraise for convicted persons. Um, the, when I, when Innocence Betrayed was published and then when the documentary went out, um, yeah. I said if people bought directly from me, I would put five pounds from each sale into a, a separate fund to cover the expenses involved oh. with with the campaign, with, with the things that need to be done. Because it's not just it's not just expert reports and things like that. It's things like traveling to speak to people. Um, Absolutely. The, the amount of time that's spent discussing aspects of the case with people that might be able to help. And I think people need to understand, you know, if I'm spending two hours talking to somebody about the case, that's two hours I'm not earning anything. And when you're involved, 
like you said, you have a team and, and you can mm. share the work. Until very recently, there was only me. And it was a juggling act between working enough to cover my expenses and leaving enough time to, to work on the case as well. And I think, yeah, I don't think people understand how difficult a balancing act that, that really is. Absolutely. You know, I've, I mean, I've got so admiration this. for you. Like, like you say, we've, we've got a team and we can divide the work between us and support each other. And it's that support as well when you're doing something like this because it does become all-consuming and you know you've, your dedication to, to seeing that this injustice is corrected is, takes a substantial amount of everyday life. Oh, yeah. And it's that support as well, and you haven't even had that support, have you? You've been isolated in, in your work for Luke. Yeah, in, in, in fairness, there have been a few, a few people behind the scenes who have been personally supportive um, yes. and, and I'm very, very grateful to them. But in terms of the actual work of the case, um, because it, we've said as well, you know, there are supporters who want to help, but they don't understand that sometimes the help that they want to give is counterproductive. Yes. And then, then you're in a, a policing role, if you like. That's, a, that's an unfortunate um, choice of phrase. But you know what I mean? You're watching what, what people are doing to try to help in case they're going in the wrong direction, which that's, is sometimes that's... even more stressful than just doing it yourself in the first place. Yeah, and it's very easy to go in the wrong direction, isn't it, on miscarriages of justice cases when oh, you try yeah. to unpick all the lies that everybody's made consistently for years and years. Yeah, and, and, and finding out which bits are worth doing in terms of moving the case forward. You can spend two years tearing something apart and get to the end and go, and that takes us absolutely nowhere because there's nothing we can do. We've done exactly the same. (laughs) But we call it pulling a thread. And so we'll pull a thread and we'll work really hard. And then months later, we go, oh, well, that was a waste of time. Right, well, we'll pull another thread now. Yeah. And you've got to do it, haven't you? Yeah. You've yeah, got to have and I, I dedication think, and commitment. Yeah, I think I think people maybe don't understand just how how all consuming it becomes. It, it just takes over your life. Absolutely. And, yeah. and it's not that we're obsessed. It's that we're obsessed in justice. Yeah. All yeah. we want is justice, isn't it? For, yeah. For us for Jeremy and you for Luke and well us for Luke as well. Everybody who's uh, and, and me for Jeremy shouldn't be. Yeah, yeah. You know, there are factors and there's such a, a thread throughout them all that that is so um, consistent throughout. There shouldn't be, in 2021, there shouldn't be miscarriages of justice. Well, I was saying earlier, you know, that when you think about it's not just the imprisoned person, it's not just the convicted person that's affected. It's their families and the children and the children's children, and it goes on and on and on and we're now seeing that there are more and more and more of these cases sometime in the not too distant future there will be very few people in this country who have not been touched in some way by a wrongful conviction absolutely is that what it's going to take it's such a scary thought isn't it yeah because it's bad enough as it is but they're just becoming more and more frequent yeah yeah 
but it's raising people's awareness about these cases yes. as well. It's so important because it isn't just Luke, it isn't just Jeremy. There are literally thousands of men and women mm -hmm. and adolescents and children in this system as wrongfully convicted that do not need and should not be there. Yeah, and so many of them have no voice. Exactly. They have no voice and they have no one to turn to and that's why everybody has to help and look yeah. into these cases and, you know, help people, write to people and encourage, encourage them in their fight for justice. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, we do it, we do it for, you do it for Luke, we do it for Jeremy, but, you know, there's people out there who have nobody and yeah. it's just very sad, extremely sad. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, there, there are a lot of critics of what we do and my message to them would be yeah but we also do this for you because one day this could be you exactly and we're protecting our children's future and their children's future yeah. and yeah. that's what we have and so then we have to do it yeah definitely have to do it well i wish you all the luck with luke's case sandra and if anyone would like to contribute sandra to the expense of forensic tests and anything is there some way they can get in touch with you to do that well if people contact me initially on at the email address innocence.betrayed at gmail.com and I'm, I'm happy to speak to people from there that's fantastic thank you very much we'll make sure people are aware so luke's still farting is he well is he he is he's very well. i just spoke to him last night actually um yeah he's very well he's he's um Obviously, very excited that uh, the case has suddenly got this much. This is the most interest it's ever had Fantastic. in all these years. Um, and the fact that we are identifying potential routes forward, that other witnesses are now coming forward as well. So uh, you can imagine that's that's a big that's a, a big Absolutely. support for him. Absolutely, and it gives him faith. In yes. that, you know, there are people out there, particularly you, Sandra, and his mum, Corinne, who um, are just continually fighting. And I know how difficult it is for a team of us to fight for Jeremy's case. And you're sort of on your own and, you know, you, 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 I've just got so much admiration for the work you do. It's incredible. Thank you. You're very welcome. And so we'll wrap it up there for today. And thank you so much, Sandra, for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, and, and again, thank you just for giving Luke's case this platform for more people to hear and more people to understand what we did as a society to a 14 year but to two 14 year old kids, really, because Jodie's not had justice either. No, exactly. And the perpetrator's still out there. Yeah. So, so thank you for, for this opportunity. Just you to let are people know. very welcome, Sandra. Um, please continue the good work. We're all here for you as well. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.